Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by CEO of Halo Top International, Doug Bowton. Halo Top is an ice cream company that is marketed as a lower calorie, lower sugar alternative to conventional ice cream. Doug began as the president and COO of Halo Top, and once the company sold in 2015, he joined as the CEO of the international business. He also recently founded Dojo Brands with their first product, Gatsby Chocolate. Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, Doug. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for joining. I think most listeners know what Halo Top is. Huge brand. One of the first movers in the Better For You ice cream category. I've been a huge fan for, for such a long time. I love the oatmeal flavor. I love pancakes and waffles. Uh, the list goes on. Can you maybe just talk to us a little bit about how you started Halo Top, where the idea came from? Uh, sure. I forgot about pancakes and waffles. That's a, that's a blast from the past. So you're you're a true fan. Did that uh, one get the- rationalized? I loved that flavor. Yeah, it did. Um, we, I think we kept it. It might still be in Canada. You know, they, they like yeah. their maple, they like their maple up there. So it might still be in Canada, but it was a little too niche for it. Probably in hindsight should have been a limited edition flavor, but, well, um, I'm half yeah. Canadian. So that, that makes sense. I just <laughs> got to go visit my grandma to, to get some of that. It, may, it makes a lot of sense then. But yeah, in terms of how it started, it was, so it was myself and my, my former business partner, uh, Justin Wolverton, he was the founder, asked me to join early on as the, co- and I came on and, and essentially was the co-founder. And yeah, it started in his kitchen, you know, kind of like a storybook, you know, Hollywood type script where he was just making it for himself in his home kitchen, loved ice cream, looking for something, you know, healthier, lower sugar, lower calorie, and there wasn't anything out there. And so it it started there. It's unrecognizable from, you know, the first iterations that he had and I had and and to where it is today. But we were two lawyers uh, who had absolutely no experience in food or beverage or CPG. And we, again, I kid you not, Googled how to make ice cream, Googled where to find an ice cream manufacturer. Like, I mean, we we were true outsiders just coming in, ignorant and naive as can be, and just kind of learning everything fresh. And at the time, did like a better for you ice cream exist that just hadn't really like grabbed the attention of the consumer because of a lack of building a strong brand? Or was this really like, in your guys' opinion, the first kind of effort to really put some capital and effort behind a better for you ice cream alternative? Yeah, we looked at it very deliberately at what Greek yogurt had done to the yogurt category. So that had happened about five years before us. We Our first full year was 2013. So like the 07s, 08s, 09s, I think that's when kind of the Faye and the Chobani started to really disrupt the yogurt category. So we saw what they did with essentially all natural ingredients. Instead of being high sugar and no protein, they were low sugar and high protein, you know, still delivering on a taste and a texture profile that works. So that was always the plan for us. The only brand I can think of, which was years ahead of us, was Skinny Cow. And they had done, I think Nestle bought them, if I'm recalling correctly, maybe in the early 2000s. But the brand had been stagnant for a while. It used a bunch of, you know, artificial sweeteners or softeners and stuff like that. And and it was still a sugar bomb. So it was still loaded with sugar and had no protein. So we really thought there was an opportunity again to kind of, you know, turn the ice cream category on its head, uh, much like Greek yogurt had done to yogurt. Yeah, that comparison of of kind of Greek yogurt disrupting the regular yogurt space is a really nice comparison. And I just think that even today, right? We're still seeing kind of now even Greek yogurt being disrupted by plant-based and all like oh, yeah. plant-based yogurt and all. And so it just continues. And it's interesting to think through. 
what's next for ice cream, which is something we can also talk about. I think just on that note, could you talk a little bit more about specifically like why the product is better for you? Like I know the functional benefit related to calories, but how, like what, what are the sweeteners that are going into kind of Halo Top to keep it tasting great yet, you know, healthier than conventional sugar? Maybe I know, I know there's some like, you know, commentary about erythritol and, and monk fruit and all of those kind of things. Can you just talk a little bit about the, the actual product profile? Yeah, so the original product profile was essentially sweetened with a combination of erythritol and stevia. We stayed away from monk fruit, and then we actually still used a small amount of organic cane sugar. It wasn't much, but we didn't think we needed to be no sugar, and we thought adding a few grams of sugar, I think there was like three grams or four grams per serving, uh, which again, compared to a Ben & Jerry's or Haagen-Dazs, they probably had 25 or 30 grams kind of thing per serving, but that small amount made a huge difference in terms of taste and texture and making sure there was no stevia aftertaste and and really that it performed like real ice cream. Because at the end of the day, a consumer, they'll compromise a little, but if you want to be mass market, if if you want to have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of sales, then you can't have a product that doesn't perform in terms of taste and texture. You just, it'll always be a niche product if if there's too big of a compromise there. So, uh, but we were erythritol and stevia to start. Now, as you look at uh, stuff, new ingredients that are coming out in the sweetener space, allulose is a really big one. There's a Reb M version, uh, M as a Mary, of stevia that has really cut the aftertaste uh, on the high intensity sweeteners. And then there's some other rare sugars that are starting to become more prominent, like tagatose, which competes with an allulose. And erythritol remains kind of the standard in terms of the sugar alcohols. The other ones usually uh, create stomach issues, erythritol in a class of its own, um, and that it, it very rarely does. Now that we kind of understand the profile of the actual ice cream, so your pipeline of products, you guys have expanded vastly since when you initially launched. And I'd love to kind of hear and let our listeners into the full pipeline of what you guys have. So you have your your dairy ice creams, your your non-dairy, you have your keto, you have your fruit bars. Can you kind of take us through what this this product lineup looks like and where you see the most success and any areas that you guys are looking to expand into? Yeah, absolutely. And I should also say we ended up exiting the U.S. business at the end of 2019 and the Canadian business. I'm sorry, Dan. So those two are not operated by us at the moment. We ended up spinning out the international operations. That is what we still actively manage and run. Uh, But just speaking to kind of our our growth, we started with the dairy-based ice cream because we knew that was the biggest market. And uh, we wanted to make sure size of prize was always there at the end of the day in terms of scale. Very quickly, we moved into plant-based. And we started originally with a coconut-based formula. We've since moved to, like most people in plant-based, to an oat milk-based formula, which I usually don't eat plant-based, but I, I'm I'm telling you, our oat milk ice cream, which unfortunately you can only get uh, abroad right now, I prefer it to our dairy ice cream. Like it's that creamy, the texture is that good. Like you don't you don't really have to qualify it by telling people this is plant-based. It's, it's just really good ice cream. And then we moved uh, into the novelty space with both ice cream uh, sticks and fruit bars. And we obviously, you know, launched a line of keto pints. Those I think launched just after uh, we exited the business in the U.S. We have not launched those abroad yet. Keto as a trend hasn't really left the U.S. yet. We're, we're monitoring it very closely, but at least as of now, it's still a very niche trend. And all we're in about thirty international markets, and and it's still very um, either non-existent or, or very small in those markets. Super interesting just to hear the story of expansion and like it it makes complete sense because you think about like a market maturity model, right? Like the US market for ice cream is like highly mature. 
was ripe for healthier disruption. And, and obviously you guys came in first and then now it's in a way it's kind of copy and pasting that model into other countries where, where the disruption is also a huge opportunity. So I think it's, it's awesome to be able to, to scale the business, but in a, in a pretty simple way, since you have such a proof of concept, right. in in the U S and in Canada already. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And it really helps us in the international markets. If, if we were just a new brand, it wouldn't work there. But if we can point to the success in the U S and in Canada and now and elsewhere, that, that really helps. And to your point, most markets, not all, and most markets are kind of following the U.S. trends. And, you know, usually within five years, certainly no later than 10 years, there are now certain, I think one of the bigger trends in the U.S. now is them starting to borrow from the international markets in terms of uh, flavors and, and product formats and stuff like that. I think you especially see that with a lot of Asian-centric uh, flavors and, and products that are entering the markets these days. It's interesting also to just think through the way that that you've evolved the portfolio related to the way kind of consumers are, are thinking about needs and functions that they want. I feel like my experience of Halo Top early on was just like low calories, great tasting ice cream. It was just all about calories, 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 because you guys put right on the front of that label, right? The calorie count of every single flavor. And I think several years ago, like and still to this day, for a lot of consumers, that is the most important thing. I still look at the calories of a lot of things that I eat. And so I think there's a lot of products that in a way have been successful just telling consumers what the product doesn't have or has less of. Yet at the same time, now I think we're starting to see brands that either are telling consumers what they have less of, but also what they have more of or only what they have more of. So you think of like a super coffee, for example, they took the sugar right out of the coffee but then they added protein and they added MCT oil and also told that dual story. And so did you guys kind of come to an inflection point where you were like, just being low calorie and great tasting kind of like isn't enough. And we need to like start adding in function beyond just kind of removing, or is it the kind of thing where you just feel like in kind of these indulgence categories, like, like ice cream being low calorie is enough. It's a great question. And my philosophy, I think, is if you try to say everything, you say nothing. And particularly as it relates to your packaging, I think you have two seconds, if that, to catch the consumer's eye and then to tell the consumer what it is. So on our packaging, we're intentionally minimalist uh, with, with everything that we do. And, and that's, you know, we essentially steal with pride from Apple and, and how they kind of have taken that, that minimalist design approach. I, I do think, though, so for example, our our flavors have almost always been gluten-free. They've almost always qualified for a high fiber claim on the FDA. A lot of them are a, a good source or a source of protein, which we often do say on the front of pint and the bottom right sometimes. So there are all these secondary call-outs, which again, some people care about, some people don't, but we essentially try on our digital marketing to target and segment those audiences and then obviously highlight those benefits to those audiences. But when it comes to that package, our, our original packaging didn't look like this. And we used to have a calorie call out, a sugar call out, or I think it was a net carb call out and a protein call out. And it was all like in small print, all at the bottom of the pint. It didn't scream, you know, healthy ice cream or low calorie ice cream, which is what we needed it to kind of scream off the shelf. So we rebranded in um, 2015 to, to kind of the brand that you see today with really, you know, kind of taking lessons learned of, of trying to say too much on the front, at least on the package. Again, website. Uh, you know, digital ads, et cetera. A lot of that provides more space to, you know, decide what selling points we're going to use. And we do use the other ones there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes simplicity is is just the name of the game. Like obviously you want a great aesthetic, but in terms of function, 
you know, sometimes you want consumers to, I think, kind of figure out the function on their own beyond that first kind of thing that you're telling them on the packaging. And I remember working um, at AB InBev beforehand and, you know, we were scaling Michelob Ultra and growing it pretty rapidly in the U.S. But all we were doing was just telling a simple story of calories and carbs and, and it worked. And I do think sometimes we have to go back and have conversations with consumers to kind of refresh in our head like what kind of needs consumers are really asking for and maybe adjust our packaging or the actual product um, functional benefits as a result. But I think the way that you guys have done it has been extremely seamless and obviously incredibly successful given, given how you've been able to scale. I think that's a critical point you raised there though. I think a lot of, and we've made this mistake, I think everybody does at some point, but it's not a set it and forget it thing. It, it, you truly have to constantly renovate and, and at least I don't know, at least annually ask yourself, is this product still relevant? Is it is the product market fit still there? You kind of have to ask yourself that. You can't just say it fit in 2015. That might not fit in 2020. And, and so I think that that's such a big point. And we we really learned that one the hard way. And also on calories, I will say that to me will always be a lasting trend. All of the science that comes out when it comes to weight loss and weight management, it comes down to calorie intake and it doesn't matter where those calories come from. This is, you know, yeah. there's so many studies about that now. So I do think that's the 50 years from now. I think that will still hold true. Whereas I'm not sure the keto diet will be here 50 years from now. It might be, I don't actually know, but I, I feel very confident that calories will be. That's fair. And I think also it's like when you approach different international markets for the first time, you may slightly think about positioning the brand with like maybe a different effort on emphasizing a different function. If maybe consumers in a specific country are okay having more calories and kind of using ice cream as an indulgence, you know? So I think there, there's also that. The UK, by way of example, the government has a regulation that uh, requires all food and beverage manufacturers to reduce the sugar in their products by, I think, 20%. And it's by like, I don't know, 2024, 2025. But obviously sugar is massively important to that consumer or reducing sugar intake. And so we don't highlight protein. They're not, you know, gym rats and, you know, out there trying to lift a bunch of weight, they really care about sugar intake. So that that's our focus for a lot of the UK EU markets over protein, which is different than the US. Yeah. I'd love to take a step back. Cause I think you started to touch on this a bit about like the ice cream landscape as a whole. And as you said, you know, there's certain things that will always stick and certain players that will always stick, but I would want to touch on who you feel like you guys are competing with and kind of how you feel like these other strategics are doing it in a way to touch into like, you know, the healthier ice cream alternative. I'll be real candid here. I think, so we came, we essentially started to hit it big in 2016 and that continued through kind of 2017, which was our, our peak year actually. And after that, all the competition entered at, at its peak. I think we had more than 25 brands in healthy ice cream, which already is a niche part of the ice cream category. So it was way over skewed and, and way too many products in there. But what you saw coming out, you would see complete knockoffs. That was probably 75% of it, whereas more or less the same product. Maybe they swap monk fruit for stevia, but you know, calories, protein, sugar, more or less the same. You could argue about taste and texture. That was probably three quarters of the products. Then you would see some who would try to add in like a new functional benefit, like you know, contains a superfood or contains, you know, something that helps you focus or sleep or, you know, one of those kind of functional things in addition to being, you know, better for you ice cream. And then uh, keto. So keto was the big one that we were late to, if I'm being honest. And so there were a couple of, and again, it was probably because 
we viewed it more of a fad than a trend. Whereas I think it's, you know, inevitably a trend. I just don't think it's, you know, it'll be here 50 years from now, but it'll probably be here five years from now. So I think that was one that there was some real innovation in that better free space was the explosion of the keto diet. Uh, and keto, as you guys know, I'm sure doesn't care about calories. It's all about, you know, it can be as high in fat as you want. It's all about cutting your carbs, uh, keeping your net carbs down, keeping your sugar down. So a lot of the keto pints, they don't say this because you don't want to advertise it, but they, they'll be like 600, 700 calories. It, uh, they'll be really low in carbs, but they'll be really high in calories because the fat content is so high. So that was one that we were late to and should have been on top of. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it's a trend right now that a lot of people are super into, but will it stick? Like we, we don't know. And who's to say, we wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on some of the players in the, the dairy free space, specifically kind of what dream pops is doing in their space. And, and I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on kind of how they're carving out, not only just this ice cream brand, but essentially a media company wrapped in a ice cream brand that's taking ice cream to kind of just a new format. Yeah, it's interesting. I love the new format. Um, and I've talked to David. I, I think they're they're great. I, I really like the new format. I have not tried. I need to try the uh, the little chocolate covered ones. That, oh, they're um, so good. The drink good. bites. They're they so look, good. They look awesome. And I used to love like in the movie theaters, like having the dibs or whatever they yeah. call the. Uh, so anyways, those those look awesome. And I need to try those. So I think. I really like their take on kind of number one, new format, which I think is unique. Um, it, it looks different, but it's still recognizable enough that there's not like a barrier to entry there for a consumer. It's still hitting on the health benefits that the interesting thing to your point is kind of like the media side of that. And I've never tried that. So I, I don't, and I haven't actually talked to him at length with, you know, how that's going and, and where the focus is and, you know, is the brand more important than kind of the media? Or are they just hand in hand as, you know, how does that work? But I could completely see how they can complement each other in a, a really big way. But yeah, I, I think they're, I really like what they're doing. I will say plant-based, it's a unique consumer where plant-based consumers generally essentially connotate health with just being vegan or vegetarian or plant-based itself, as opposed to, so a lot of those products are still loaded with calories and sugar. And maybe there'll be protein like pea protein or something like that. But a lot of them are still, you know, at least nutritionally, I wouldn't describe them as healthy, but they still have that connotation just because they are plant-based and they often use organic ingredients and everything like that. So it's, it's an interesting space. And I think it's still a very niche space within almost every category, including ice cream, where I think I need to look at the latest data, but I still think it's, I don't know if it's even 10% of total ice cream. I think it might still be less. And and so as it gets bigger and bigger, I think you have to ask yourself, is there a space for health within that? Because that's a niche within a niche. Whereas for us at scale, healthy ice cream did less than 20% of the total category. And this is when we, and I can give you the numbers, but we did North, uh, we did 315 million in sales in 2017. And we were outselling Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs. It was absolutely crazy. But even then we were less, not even, it was us and every other brand in that space was less than 20% of the total category. So we're kind of playing with this on our end right now is like, should we look at some of these other categories that have really, really big, you know, vegan or plant-based consumers? And should we try to come out with kind of, you know, a Halo Top-esque product in those categories? But, you know, it's so much time, it's so much money, it's so hard to build and launch a brand, especially a new brand. Is it worth the time and effort if... It's going to be a niche within a niche. And that open question, I don't have an answer to that, but I think that's what we're thinking through a lot of that right now on the plant-based side. Yeah. 
it's interesting to think about, you know, where you can leverage the brand equity you guys have really built in, in other categories and, you know, how much upfront capital it'll really take. On that note, could you just talk to us a little bit about exit and, and kind of your journey? I mean, you talked about over 300 million in sales in 2017. I'm sure a lot of strategics uh, were having conversations with you about exit. How did you kind of think through that process and, and kind of really land in a place that, that obviously you're happy with? We, from day one, knew we wanted to exit. I'll put it that way. We did not, we were not going to be Ben and Jerry. We had no interest in being Ben or Jerry. We were Justin and Doug and nobody needed to know our names. And we we were completely happy with that. So we knew we wanted to exit. And obviously the goal was, you know, within, I don't know, call it five to seven years, you know, can we can we get to an exit was always kind of the, the goal. Once we got in 2017 to a place where we could really start to consider, you know, to be an attractive acquisition target, we it's really weird, but we grew too quickly. We went from, we were only 2 million in 2015. So we went like a rocket ship from two to 300 in two years. And then I won't say we were too big to buy, but the universe of buyers becomes very small. We actually got an offer in 2017 for $50 million for the whole company, 50 million. (laughs) And that wasn't a multiple, that was a fraction. So we were like, what do you mean? Like, what? Like, that's not how this is supposed to work. Needless to say, we did not take that offer and walked away. But it was like we they were giving us an offer based on 2016. And we had already eclipsed that in like, you know, one month of 2017. That's just how crazy the kind of growth curve there was for a period of time. Then in 18 and 19, we start to lose market share. All of these competitors come in that we were just talking about. And they're kind of ankle biters. You know, we were still dominated. I think we had at least 60% of the market still, but we used to have 90, right? You know, we were now dealing with 20% year over year losses. So we're still doing 250 million, but now you're trying to explain away why you have losses, which it was just like, had we gone from 100 to 150 to 200 to, you know, 250, you know, I think that would have been a much, much easier process. But for us, it that wasn't the process. And ultimately it was like a, we stopped and we started about three times in terms of, and we explored everything from, you know, just making profit distributions to, we never really looked at going public, at least not seriously, but we, we did look at a lot of private options like distributions. Uh, There's something called a leveraged recap where you essentially take out debt and pay yourselves a dividend or a distribution. And then obviously a a strategic exit uh, is where we ended up. But yeah, for us, it was not a straight line, not a very easy process. The 50 million offer, it's a funny, it's a funny concept to think of like, a fraction multiple, like 0.15x. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we thought the same thing. We were like, well, what? We said, we actually, I remember being in that meeting. We said, did you, did you say 500 or did you say five zero? And they were like, yeah. five zero fifty. And we were like, what? Yeah, that's funny. So we, we did just want to kind of touch on where you are now. And we are big fans of the permissible indulgence category. We like to call it, you know, those, those treats that, you allow yourself to have, I guess you could say. And now you've started Dojo, the Gatsby chocolate. And can you kind of tell us what what led you to chocolate and where the name came from? Just a little bit about Dojo. So when we exited the U.S. business, uh, we did we spun out the international business and we were doing that for a period of time. But then a global pandemic happened, which I'm sure you've heard about. Um, it was tough to directly run an international business, you know, without being able to ever see employees or to see, you know, important third parties like co-man or manufacturers and things like that. So we kind of 
pretty quickly tried to shift our international operations to more of a, a distributor-based model or even a sub-license model where the people in market would be the ones actually doing the day-to-day operations, which freed up our time. So there's 20 of us now, that's myself included, on the uh, the Halotop International business and the, on the U.S. team. But it freed up a lot of time for us to say, well, if we're not spending our day-to-day you know, chasing around Australia, UK, Europe, you know, China, you know, in every time zone in the world, uh, what are we going to do with that time? And we essentially said, why not, you know, create a new brand in the U.S.? We couldn't use the Halotop brand because we had sold that, but we basically looked at a number of categories and chocolate for us was the one that jumped off uh, the page because, again, there hadn't been a whole lot of innovation uh, yet in chocolate. There were some low sugar chocolates. Lily's just sold. Um, that's the biggest low sugar chocolate. They just sold to Hershey's. But other than that, there there wasn't really much in the way of healthy chocolate or better for you chocolate. So, And there certainly wasn't low calorie chocolate. Even Lily's is still really high in calories because there's a lot of fat in chocolate from the cocoa butter. So... We saw that as an opportunity and it was an open question. Can we formulate a chocolate that has incredibly good taste and texture? Because I think that's so important, but actually gives you a compelling play on calories. And of course, part of that would be reduced sugar. But the other part is reducing the fat and, and you know incorporating things like fiber where you can. So that was the open question. And we essentially started that in July of probably 2020, you know, and spent a, a lot of time developing the formula. I read an article at the time about the book, The Great Gatsby, going into what's called the public domain. And I'm a lawyer. My background is at least. So I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, that'd be a cool brand name. I wonder if it's available. And nobody had it in, in this chocolate space. So we we actually just recently received a registered trademark for that. But I thought the number one, it would have awareness in the U.S. because everybody's, you know, more or less been required to read that book in middle school or high school or whenever, and then the movie and everything that's been out. But also, I just thought, you know, it plays with premium, rich, indulgent. There's a bit of mystique around who is this Gatsby guy. Like, I felt like those would be all really fun things to play with in terms of building a brand, especially around a product where it might be like, you know, it's premium, it's indulgent, but how do they do this? And why does it taste so good if it's low calorie? I just thought you could really play into those themes really well with it. So I love it. I love it. We're going to transition into our favorite section of the podcast, which is our rapid fire. So we're going to throw some questions at you and you just give us whatever quickly comes to mind. I'm on the hot seat. Let's do it. First question, favorite halo top flavor. (sighs) I'm going to go oatmeal cookie. I really like that one. Yeah. If pancakes and waffles aren't available, that's mine as well. (laughs) Go to snack besides halo top, of course. I don't know if you've had snack ones, but I love, I've been eating those by the bag these days. They're really good. I like the barbecue flavor. Guilty pleasure. <laughs> a ton of TV, probably. Yeah, I love movies. So I, I'm i up until like 1 or 2 a.m. watching TV. My wife goes to bed by like 10. So I have like three hours to myself. But yeah, I've got, I watch a ton of terrible, terrible TV. <laughs> Coolest place you've ever been. First one that came to mind was Turks and Caicos. I should be able to do better than that. I wish I had just gone to Morocco. That would have been a great answer. I was supposed to go to Slovenia where a manufacturer is, but we we haven't been able to go with the pandemic. I need to travel more. But right now we're going to go with Turks and Caicos. Love it. Favorite athlete? Tom Brady. It's not even close. All right. So you're a Pats fan? Nope. Just a TB12 fan. Just TB12. I just think he's the greatest model in leadership that you'll find. I love it. I honestly couldn't agree more. And I used to root against him pretty aggressively because the Chargers, I wouldn't even call the Chargers rivals. It was like, we'd always lose Patriots, <laughs> but like, I still want it to be Tom Brady. But with that said, completely agree. Last section of the podcast, we just asked like one question and 
that really is what you're doing to subscribe to wellness or live a healthy life each day. So what are, what are some habits that you're focused on to ensure that you're living a healthy life? I feel like I've been losing 10 pounds for 10 years and it's so hard, especially in the startup days. It's not like another job, like you eat, sleep and breathe it. And there's never enough time in the day and, and trying to be able to carve out time to eat better, to work out, to go for a run or a walk. I think that's been a constant struggle for me for the last eight years where, you know, just work was everything. So I actually just recently lost five pounds, still, still going. I've got, I've got, you know, I'd like to lose another 10 or so, but I like, I joined Noom. I don't know if you guys have heard about that one, but I've been um, using Noom a little bit where, you know, it just gets you into habits of drinking water or weighing yourself every morning or, you know, logging your meals. It's nothing, you know, crazy. It's not like it, it, it just forces me to kind of think about those things as, as I go through my day. And it's been, uh, it's been really helpful for me, at least again, teach their own. But for me, at least it's kind of been the first thing I've found that gets me committed to a routine. And, and even when I fall off the wagon, it, it's pretty easy for me to get back on and start using the app more. And, and again, you know, caring about those things like water intake and, and logging your meals and just generally trying to eat healthier. So that for me has been really helpful. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, we know all of our listeners know where to find out about what's going on with Halo Top, but where can our listeners learn more about Dojo and try this new amazing chocolate? So if you go to gatsbychocolate.com, that's the website. It has everything on there. I will say we have a, a rebrand that's launching on Jan 1. And, and I like the brand, but I'm really excited about the rebrand. And then again, feel free to connect with me on, on LinkedIn or anywhere. I accept every single LinkedIn request there is. I, I love uh, being a resource for any other entrepreneurs or people who you know are just interested and have questions. Awesome. Doug. Thanks, thanks again for connecting. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks to both of you. Have, have a great day. You too. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of the week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.